0: Welcome to Curriculum Coup d'Etat. In our last episode, we discussed the concerns many teachers are facing with regards to curriculum, particularly pushed down from policymakers and unrealistic expectations on children and teachers. Today, we'll be exploring some solutions that teachers have shared with us as well as some of our own discoveries. Thank you for joining us. We are your hosts, Emily, Michelle, Madison, Dawn, Nikki, and I'm Uchenna.
1: Before we dive into our discussion, we wanted to take a minute to offer a working definition of learning as play. According to Project Zero published by Harvard University, an invitation to play does not mean we do not take teaching, learning, and school seriously. We do. How to improve schooling is a vital and urgent topic, and we are deeply committed to education as a means of empowering young people to create and shape the kind of world they and we want to live in. However, school and learning need not be dull and unpleasant. Learning can be fun. Play is a strategy for learning. This is true for adults as well as children. Thank you for those words, Nikki.
2: So I'm curious for all of you, what are some of the ways that you have kind of seen play as learning in action in your classrooms? I would say for me,
3: most of my day is play Um, in our state preschool children are mandated to have at least an hour of open-ended non-structured play every single day and so you know my students are really focusing on creating relationships and so much of early childhood learning is the social emotional aspect of it learning how to interact with others learning how to share learning how to take turns so much of our day is based in play. And they're also learning math skills. They're learning colors. They're learning numbers. They're learning how the sign on the wall tells them that they should use their walking feet inside. So just exposing them to these elements of educational, you know, learning is such an important part of our day. And I know we all have interviewed our own students to create our own children's bill of rights. And when I interviewed my students, I have 16 students in my classroom, all 16 of them led with children have the right to play. And so just seeing that that's an important part of their day to them means that we need to see it as just an important part of our teaching practices.
2: I know the number one thing that we tell parents at the beginning of the year is trust the process because... We have so many parents that will come to us and say, Why aren't you teaching my child to read? Why aren't you teaching my child math? I'm saying, We are. You have to look at what they're doing when we send you pictures or videos. You know, every day they're going around, they're counting how many children are in school today, or they're looking at the sign that we walk by on our walk and they're saying, Oh, there's an R, there's an R in my name too they're making those little connections day by day. And I think that's where we see so much one of my favorite examples was um, two children who wanted to make a map, because they noticed that our classroom was all the way down the hall. And so they wanted to make a map so that the other kids in the class didn't get lost on their way. They counted and then everyone started counting on their way in the number of steps. They took pictures, um, went on a walk from the lobby to the classroom and took pictures of what they thought were sort of the landmarks and ended up creating a map from the hallway to the classroom and there they learned about math, they learned about engineering, they learned all these different, I mean, there's some early literacy in there too, looking for, again, these landmarks, signs. I mean, it really comes from them.
1: I think um, one of the things that has been so rich for me in my career is seeing the benefit of engaging in, in sensory play and how um, I think we call it polysensorial children are, how they engage all of their senses. And seeing children engage with things like water and sand and mud and how how they engage with these materials touches on and plays to every facet of their development. Um it's social, emotional, it's scientific reasoning, it's pre-math and pre-literacy. Um, And so I think for me, one of the things that I've noticed is so deeply missing from our traditional school setting is children being able to have a hands-on interaction with their environment. You know, when you think of the traditional schooling, you're sitting at a desk, there is no sensory input, whereas a rich classroom that values play is going to have things that play to every single sense, to every single kind of engagement. Um, And so for me, that's really shown itself to be one of the richest things that we can do for young children in regards to giving them those rich opportunities
4: to play. I also, I think some of you have touched on it too, but like that, that choice aspect as well. I know like the way that Emily was talking about, you know, the kids were interested in how far the classroom was, I think really bringing in um, that their own interest level, right? Like by Letting them start design whatever their learning is going to look like. And we, as teachers, get to have that facilitating thing where we can add in um, the literacy that goes along with the interests that they had or add in any sort of like math, you know, that um, goes along with it. And they, they really just blossom when they begin, you know, looking at things and learning things through their own interests.
2: I think we see that in adults, too. I mean, when you get to college, and you get to start sort of designing your own adventure, because you choose your major, something that you're interested in, you become so much more engaged in the material. And for a young child, if you tell them, okay, now we're gonna sit down and we're going to learn how to write this letter. They're kind of going, okay, but I was just having a tea party. I'm I'm not ready for that right now. If you make it something that you know they're interested in, they're going to buy into it so much faster and so much deeper.
0: I also think of like play as an outlet for their, of course, social emotional And there's so many kids today that don't have that outlet anywhere. And I look at surrounding pre-K's around me that are, they're sitting at a table most of the day. Yeah, they get their 40 minutes of center time, but they're mostly sitting down doing classroom work like a third grader or, you know, a fifth grader. And this is pre-K. But I, I know I've introduced Clay more this year than I have any other year. And I have a little girl that her I mean like she was able to just pour her emotions out in this clay work and I don't think she would have been able to do that anywhere else and so I I feel like not only does it just give them like a foundation for learning but it's
2: plays giving them this foundation for social emotional outlet as well. That's sort of how they synthesize isn't it they you know the children take something in, and then they play it to make sense of it. Do you all think that this is relevant to older grades beyond early childhood?
4: Um, I would say absolutely. And in my interview process, I had the opportunity to interview our, you know, some pre-K all the way through fifth grade. And um, one one of the things that the little, you know, one of the fifth grade boys had told me was, Um, When we were talking about children's rights, he said um, children have the right. And he's thinking of his own age, right? You know, and he's like, we have the right to to have time to be creative, productive, and something. I can't remember exactly what his terms were, but he was basically saying, like, we need some time, you know, to do things that we want to do. And I thought that that was really interesting because I know that, you know, the school that he's in, that his classroom is not. You know, really designed that way. So just hearing him say that, I was like, yeah, you're, you are asking for play. That is what you are asking for. Do y'all feel like, how, like, how do you feel that we are able to share and express um, with the community? And I mean, even policymakers eventually, like, how do we, how do we share all of this with them? How do we let them know that this is an important part of education?
3: So for me personally, um, in my own context, just getting the word out to the building of administrators that I work in is having these learning stories. So basically, I take what the children are saying, what are they're doing. I take pictures. I take videos. And I put that into a narrative format, so anyone who could read it could understand what was going on in the process, I point out the things that they're working on academically I point out the things that they're working on socially and emotionally. I work on I point out the literacy skills that they're working on the collaborative skills, the scientific skills, so just making that apparent to the people who may have not seen that learning experience in the same way, may not have seen all of the possibilities that were occurring during that, can read this story and say, wow, you know, I would have never thought that young children were capable of something so profound, but this story really hits home and really shows the power that these play-based, you know, kind of emergent curriculum that we are helping contribute to as teachers is so important for our children.
2: Right, I think documentation, 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 because we live in a society, most of, we're all based in the US. We live in a society that does not value children as full citizens with a full voice. And it's our job then as adults with a voice, to, with a voice that's listened to, to amplify their voices and to show their work and show how powerful
1: they are. I agree. I often tell um, the teachers that I work with that not only is documentation a vital piece of making learning visible, like they say in Reggio Emilia, um, but also to elevate our profession and to elevate the work that we do um and to elevate children's voices and and to provide a seriousness um, and provide a context that play is a serious thing it's a it's a serious subject and area of study um and it's worth taking seriously not only for other educators but for parents and other stakeholders and that child's well-being
0: I think too that's one reason why I took this course because I want to be able to share, I want to share with others, I want to share with teachers, I want to share with admin. What play based looks like and how we can put it in public schools and you know kind of you know help our children be able to just be able to learn by play, I mean (laughs) I think that's. I know that's what I came here for one of the reasons, because I just want to teach I want to teach adults. There's something better. And as we opened the episode with, we said uh, play from the Project Zero from
2: Harvard that play is a strategy for learning. In the last episode I talked a bit about how I came to this idea of contextual curriculum thinking about my own schooling growing up and I mean, even when it's not play, just incorporating the things that your students are interested in. I mean, some of the best teachers that I had in high school were the ones that would take my interests outside of school and write math problems about them, ask me to decide on a history presentation topic. It just, any time that I could have a say in that I was that much more invested.
3: All right, well, the next time on the episode of Curriculum Coup d'etat, we have a special guest coming to share her experiences with emergent and contextual curriculum. Jen Selbitska from Boulder, Colorado will be here to tell us a little bit about her experiences and how we can implement it in our own classrooms.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear your replies at d'etat at gmail.com. Thank you.